of the Spirit, if any part in mercies. Fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or boastfulness, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, word would have freedom tonight, that it would have power and grace. Help our hearts and our minds to be open to these verses, to these words. Help us to grow in this area of like-mindedness and unity and humility. I pray that you would um, do a work and that you would bless. I look forward to what you will do in hearts and in lives and in what this will mean for us in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, please be seated. I wanted to do a, a quick uh, review and lead up. Last week we looked at the first two verses, and we'll do a quick reminder of what, forget, what humility is not. And we just pointed out there's a few things that, um, that society or perhaps just our minds tell us that humility is. And it's none of these things. Forgetting yourself, neglecting yourself, self-loathing or self-hate, depression or feeling bad, being a doormat or accepting abuse. These are not uh, attributes of humility. But we spent uh, most of our time last week looking at verse 1 about remembering the gifts. Do you remember the gifts? There's four of them. We looked at each one of those. You remember the gifts. That's good. That's right. Comfort of love. He's reading them right off there. Right? Fellowship of the Spirit and heart, heart and mercies. Okay. And we talked about the great gifts that we've been given and how this is a foundation and it's a basis and it's a springboard that leads us to extend to others what has been given to us. And to remember that we have in Christ what we need to be like-minded, to be humble, to be um, patient with one another. And so we emphasized remembering the gifts. Now, verse 2 is kind of like the topic itself, and that is that we would be like-minded. This unity um, is discussed in verse 2. And so we, we looked at that last week as well. But verse 3, the first part of verse 3, is what gives us the next key to growing in unity through humility. And verse 3 starts off by saying, let nothing be done through strife or boastfulness. Strife or boastfulness. You know, strife is this idea of, um, certainly the first thing that comes to my mind is, is arguing, right? And fighting. However, the... The heart, the heart behind this idea of strife is the idea of selfish pushing yourself forward. Selfishly advancing your own agendas. And, you know, uh, this sometimes displays itself when people in a team setting or in a church setting or in a family setting, they have an idea or they have a goal. And because they're so wrapped to the goal or their idea, they are selfishly putting forward what they want to happen, and they're not considering what is best for the group as a whole, what is best for others, but they're selfishly pushing themselves forward through arguing, through fighting, through um, strife. And if, if a church is united, then 
there won't need to be strife, right? There won't need to be fighting. And strife and fighting are a sign that there's either one or more people who are not submitting to the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God leads people to, to unity and to harmony and to cooperation. And Paul says here, don't let anything get done through strife. I had to think about that. Is strife or arguing something that I rely on to bring about the results that I want? Hmm. Let nothing be done. It doesn't say let not very many things be done. Let nothing be done through strife or boastfulness. Boastfulness. This boastfulness is, um, in, in the old King James, it's vain glory. And glory is where we get that idea of boasting or of pride. And then vain is the idea of empty. So empty boasting or empty pride. Um, and this, this boastfulness that says, you know, um, I'm the best and I have the best idea and I'm right and you're wrong. And that's that boastful spirit. And Paul says, we don't want to get anything done this way. That's not the way that we want to get things done. So consider your means. How do you go about moving forward? Do you do it through arguments and through pride and boasting? Is that how you, you know, push other people down so that you can march forward? Is that how you operate? Paul says this is not, this has no place in the church. Let nothing be done through strife or boastfulness. And so, uh, you know, when I think of these two terms, especially the, the first one, the strife, the idea is, we could have selfish ambitions or we could have godly ambitions. We could want what God wants. And in other words, it's not about what we personally want, but we're saying, I want to see God's will accomplished. I want to see God's plan go forward. And so the, other, the idea is that if you're going to have a discussion or a disagreement, it shouldn't ever be about what we ourselves want, but rather the desire that we want what God wants. We want his will to be done. We want his glory to be seen. We want his cause to go forward. And so maybe we could put it this way is make sure if you're going to go to war over something that it's something good, that it's something worthwhile, that it's something that God would want done. And then finally is if you're going to war, you need to make sure you're actually going to war against the enemy of God and not his very own people or his very own children. So... Um, Paul says this is not how we should get some things done. Do you remember a guy in the Bible named Diotrephes? John warned about a guy named Diotrephes, and it says that he would cast people out of the church. And the idea is that he was either a pastor or just a really strong-handed church member, and if someone crossed him, he would kick them out of the church. Now, does that sound like what Paul is talking about? Strife and boastfulness. Yes, this is exactly what, what Paul is warning them of. And he says that's not how to get things done. So, so then the question would be, well, what if, what if uh, there is strife? What if someone is being boastful? What do we do then? You know, um, you know in, in a minute, Paul is going to say, you know, think about others better than yourself and don't think about your own things. Think about other people's things. So if, if there is someone who's boastful and selfishly pride, are we just supposed to say, oh, well, let, let's let him have his way, you know, and he can run the show. Well, not specifically, no, but still Paul says, don't let things be done through strife and through boastfulness. So our response to that should not be strife and it shouldn't be our own boasting, but rather it should be prayer 
and it should be uh, calm, uh, soft words to turn away wrath, and it should be um, a quoting of the word of God and an appeal to unity. And so Paul warns these Philippians, and I don't know if, if uh, later when we read in chapter 4 about Iodia and Syntyche, I don't know if they were striving, I don't know if, if they were boasting, if that was how they were doing things, but um, you might want to ask yourself, what are the ways, the means, that I get things done? Is it through pride or is it through, through strife? But then look at the next part of verse 3, and this is what I call value others. But rather than that, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Isn't that something? Let each esteem others better than themselves. That word better has the idea of more important. And if I am always esteeming people better than myself, then who is going to be the lowest in the room? Me. And if I'm esteeming others better than myself, is there anyone that can be beneath me or below me? No, it's impossible. And so Paul is saying that the way we see people and the way we value them is going to affect this idea of unity. You know, I, I think of the story of Abraham and Lot. Do you remember Abraham and Lot? They said that their herdsmen were striving, which is right in the text here. And it says that Abraham said to Lot, you take a look and you take whichever side you want first. And in that moment, Abraham viewed Lot as better than himself, didn't he? He said, "You're," even though he was younger and even though he was perhaps less spiritual, he simply said, you, you take the first pick. He valued him as more important than himself. And see, this is where the, the distinction is, is between what I want versus what God wants. Because if, if I'm valuing others and, and, and treating them as better, and not just treating them as, but actually in our heart believing that they are better than us, then it, it causes the selfish, self-centered, my will sort of things to fade. And there's a yieldedness to others. There's a valuing of others. And that word esteem, I mean, that word esteem is really important because it, it has this idea of to value, how we, we treasure. It's almost that idea of precious, right? And it's to see others as more valuable, more important, more precious than ourselves. Which for some, sometimes... And maybe often we could even say that is to see people really well, isn't it? Because we tend to value ourselves a lot. So if we're valuing them more than we value ourselves, that is to value others a great deal. To love our neighbors as we love ourselves, right? So Paul warns them, and in the first part, he warns them about the wrong way, but now he's telling them the right way. Lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than themselves. So this is that proper valuation. What do you think are some ways that we actually show this in practice? That we value others more than we value ourselves? Well, there's probably a lot of things that could be said, but I think of a few things. One is listening. When someone speaks, to listen to what they say and to think about what they say and to actually take it in. When you interrupt or when you tune people out or when you kind of ignore them, you're kind of saying... Your perspective doesn't matter, right? Your ideas, your thoughts, whatever you have to say, it's just not important to me. And when we esteem others better than ourselves, we will listen to
to what they have to say. Um, I think sometimes this, this is easy for adults to do with children, right? We kind of tune them out, kind of say, oh, well, you know, just, just be quiet, right? And yet, um, when, when we listen to a child, that means, that shows that they're important, right? It values them. And that's something I have to work on. I'm not always the best at that, but I am, I'm working on that because I think it's an application of this, listening. Also, um, the idea of giving, uh, giving to others, sharing what God has given us with others shows that we value them and we see them as important. And we're willing to give of, of what we have. Proverbs warns about the person who saves and holds on to too much and they don't do giving. And um, the exact words are slipping me, but the, the idea is there is the type of person who withholds more than is fitting, more than is meat, and yet it tends to poverty. And that's that idea where if we are always about our needs and our savings and we're not generous at all, God even says that that can lead to poverty, which is kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Um, so that's another way we value others is through giving. I also think that another way that we see others as important is that we seek to maintain relationships. And so when something goes awry, when something goes wrong, when uh, an offense enters or distance enters in or neglect or whatever it might be, that if I'm going to treat them as more important than myself, I'm not just going to say, ah, they were always sort of a loser anyway, I'll just let them go, right? No, no, that is you reach out to strengthen that relationship and to fix that relationship, whatever it might be that is wrong. That is to see the other as better than ourselves. Uh, there's some... And then finally, the other thing I just want to say is that this is not natural. This is not easy, and this is not just like tie a string around your finger kind of stuff. This is the kind of thing where you're going to have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to learn to value others more than myself. Help me to see them, help me to hear them, help me to love them and to care, and give me this heart that would care about others more than I care about myself, and that I would grow in this. Um, I think of the... The words where it says of the Lord Jesus that he saw the crowds, right? And then it says he was moved with compassion upon them because he saw that they were fainting and they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. And in that moment, Jesus was not considering his own needs. He was thinking of others and he was seeing them and he was being moved in his own heart to value them and to reach out to them. Next, in verse 4, we have guard your focus. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So in verse, at the end of verse 3, this is about seeing people. Verse 4 is about seeing people's needs. And it says things, doesn't it? Look not every man on his own things. And I wonder sometimes all that is meant by that word things. Um, I don't think it just means possessions, okay? I think it's broader than just don't look on, you know, don't look on your own stuff, look on their stuff. I don't, I don't think that's really the encapsulating it. I, I think this idea of looking on the things of others is the interests, the needs, the desires of others, and maybe even we could even say the good qualities of others, where we look for the good in others and not just the good in ourselves, but look at the, the good in others, and that will help us esteem them properly. But what, what are the needs of others? What are the wants of others? What are the situations that others find themselves in and not just my own needs? It is natural and easy for us to think about our own needs, 
our budget, our schedule, our health, our, you know, on and on. You know, um, being in the ministry and hearing from different people in the church, there are some people that are very slow to share their needs, and there are others that are very quick to share their needs, right? And so sometimes I get it direct from the horse's mouth, so-and-so is in the hospital, or so-and-so has this financial need, and, um, and it's, it's right from that person. So it's not so-and-so, excuse me, it's I have a need, right? But then there's other times where I don't necessarily know, but I, someone else says, did you hear that so-and-so has, uh, is sick? Did you hear that they're um, in need, right? And it encourages me when other members will share the needs of someone else, and they'll say, did you know that so-and-so has a need? Because what it sh- shows me is that they're caring about the needs of others, and they're, they care enough to say something. But, the, but look at the first word of verse 4. Look. Look. This verse is really about where you're looking. Where you're looking. Are we looking at simply our own needs, or are we lifting our head, seeing the people, and looking upon their needs? We must guard our focus. If our focus becomes our own needs, then very soon we have no heart for others. And our love fades, our unity fades, the strife begins, the selfish ambition jumps out, and um, very different focus. Now, if we struggle with these verses, verse 3, verse 4, verse 1 and 2 as well, you might say to yourself, how, how, how can I learn to do this? How can I become this way? Because I'm not really this way. Verse 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, look to the example. Look to the example. Look to Jesus and know that he has what you need. He has what you need. I think Charles Spurgeon is famous for saying, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. And the need right here is that we would have the mind of Christ, but the good news is that I am in Christ. I am in Christ. I am his. He is mine. And the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I also have good news. It not only was in Christ Jesus, it is in Christ Jesus. You know, I've said this myself, and I believe this, but when Jesus first came to earth, he came as the suffering servant. But when he comes the next time, he is going to come as the, the conquering king, right? The conquering king. But do you know that there's a, uh, there's an interim, there's a, there's something that happens before that. And do you know what it is? There's the marriage supper of the lamb. And there's one Bible verse that says that Jesus will gird himself and will serve us. And I don't know, in, in, in just a few chapters in John, we're going to be looking at Jesus washing the disciples' feet, right? But but there is going to come a time where we sit around the feast table and Jesus will come and will serve us. And I myself will be served by Jesus Christ if I have found a seat at the table, if that could be. But to think of the idea that there's coming a day where I'll sit and Jesus will serve me, shouldn't that kind of affect these things and remind me that, hey, the Lord Jesus looked on the needs of others The Lord Jesus esteemed others better than himself. If there was anyone who should look down on people, it's Jesus. He's the Son of God, right? But he did not. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
regularly, habitually, continually, this mind should be in you, in your mind, in your life individually, in us all as a church, in our day-to-day living. I want to read a couple other verses that teach this same truth. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No one. But then it says this, But we have the mind of Christ. So there it tells us that we presently do have the mind of Christ. Romans 8, 5-7 says this, For those who are according to the flesh, think about the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. This mind, this spiritual mind, is the mind of Christ. And so as we wake up in the morning, we can, we can even before our feet hit the floor, we can say, Lord, help me have the mind of Christ today. Help me to have that humble spirit of Christ today. Today, Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask you to help me to see others better than myself. And the Bible says, let this mind be in you today and always, regularly, consistently, in an ongoing basis. This humility that is emphasized in the text here, we, in verse 2, I'm sorry, in verse 3 and 4, there's a lot of emphasis on others, others, others. But humility itself starts with God. It starts with our relationship and our thoughts about God. It is first and foremost a God-word orientation. And if, if I'm not humble before God, I'm never going to have an others-mindedness or put others first. In a sense, this is saying that we ought to imitate Christ. We ought to walk in His steps, in His mindset, in His lifestyle. And, you know, technically, we're not supposed to imitate His death on the cross, for instance, right? But we are supposed to be willing to die for Him. Um, we don't imitate His miracles, right? I don't uh, try to do that. But we can imitate His compassion that He displayed for others. Um, we can't raise Lazarus from the dead, right? But we can wash feet. And uh, this humility that is called for here is, it's true of all of us. It's true for all of us. If you have Christ, then you have his call upon your life. So how do we grow in this? Well, remember the gifts. That would be verse one. I mentioned listening earlier, so I'll pass right that, that one by. Also, uh, Another way to value others and to have the mind of Christ and to put their needs first is to, and, and I say this carefully because we do, you know, there's a danger of speaking too much, but there's also the, the flip side danger of silence, uh, avoiding silence. And what I mean by that is a, a cold-hearted, I'm not interested in you and I'm not going to talk to you sort of silence. Um, I call it a form of neglect here. And so speaking would be to take an interest in others, to ask questions, to see how they're doing, and to reach out to them. Um, there are some people that more naturally speak a lot, and there are some that are more naturally quiet. So there's a range in here, right? But what I'm saying is, if I'm going to see others as more important than myself, then that's going to involve caring for them, speaking to them, loving them, and, and asking how they are and, and taking an interest in them. You know where the, sometimes the deepest test of these things is? 
is in our day-to-days. We meet a stranger, and sometimes it's easier to put these truths into practice with a stranger than it is with the people who, you know, are in our kitchen every day. The people who we rub shoulders with at work every day, or the children, uh, maybe you're a mother with children at home, and, and you're around these people all the time. But to take these truths and put them into practice with the people that are closest to us is often the most difficult battle. And um, when it says to esteem others better than ourselves, this involves um, church relationships, but involves family relationships also. And so a husband is to value his wife as more important than himself. And a brother is to look across at his sister and to say, my sister, I, I see her as more important than me. And whatever relationship we, we can apply it to uh, in, on the job, in the home, in the church, taking this attitude and putting it into practice. A couple other things. Avoid comparisons. Um, I, I think comparisons tends to breed some of the issues, the strife and the, the boastfulness that's talked about here. Uh, pray, certainly pray for grace <laughs> to, to live this out. But uh, also, I just want to end with this. We ultimately need to look again and again and again very closely at Jesus. Look at how he spoke. Look at how he served. Look at how he cared for others. And as we see the story of Jesus and as we look to Jesus, we can see different ways and maybe even learn more about the how of how the mind of Christ can be in us. I have been served in my life by many people, people that made a difference. And certainly that takes on a lot of different angles and, and pictures. But I think of one of the teachers that taught in my Christian school. He taught fifth and sixth grade. His name was Moeller, Mr. Moeller, we called him. And I don't know the sacrifices he made to do all that he did, but he not only taught school, but he pastored a church as well. And teachers and pastors both talk about having heavy schedule demands. And if you can do both of those at the same time, I don't, I, I don't know how he did it. But, you know, I learned a great deal from Mr. Moeller. And it was not just the books. But, you know, he would take time for us. He would answer our questions. He would challenge us when we were wrong at times. He could be bold when needed. But he was very compassionate. He was very talkative. And, and those two years, my fifth and sixth grade years with Mr. Moeller, at the time, I'm, I know there were times where I was an arrogant jerk that drove him crazy, right? But in those moments, he cared about me. And he invested in me. And he sacrificed his schedule. And it, I, I don't believe it was just that he needed the money. I think he truly did it for serving the Lord. And... He valued others as more important than himself. And for me, um, now that I look back and I look at, wow, he was a pastor and a school teacher, and he also did this, and I saw him serving there and doing that. And I see now that, hmm, wow, that was someone who really looked at others and valued them as more important than themselves. And it impacted me. So now, where I am, I want to say, dear God, help me to be a little bit more like Mr. Moeller, but ultimately, help me to be like you and value others and let that humble spirit bring me to a place of unity. So unity through humility.
That's what we learn from these verses. So let's bow in prayer, ask God to bless and apply these things to our lives. Dear Lord, I thank you for this text. And these commands are very simple as given in the word of God. They're very straightforward, but they are very difficult to live out. And I ask that in moments of selfishness, in moments of um, tiredness or difficulty, may we not let go of these simple truths. Dear Lord, would you help us to be a church that treats others better than we treat ourselves and that has a heart and a view and a mind that wants others to be lifted up. Would you deliver us from boastfulness? Would you deliver us from strife? Would you help me to be an example in these areas and help our church to grow in each of these areas as well? We lift you up as the true example of humility. We admit that we have so much to learn, and as we look at your life and how you chose to live, we see again and again what humility means. I pray that our church would be known for humility and for unity. In Jesus' name, amen.